I'm preaching this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul speaking, and he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I've entitled this message, Paul's Resolve. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now the Bible's a big book. Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21, all inspired by God with over 40 authors written over a period of over 1,500 years. And with regard to this whole book, the Apostle Paul says, I've determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is my resolve to have no other subject but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Usually if a preacher gets on a hobby horse dwelling on some subject um, in the Bible, he does so to the exclusion of others that are equally important. You can overemphasize one doctrine to the exclusion of another doctrine. But here, Paul makes this statement that in reality covers the whole Bible and includes every doctrine. I've determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is my only subject. And in that being my only subject, in reality, I preach everything in the Bible. Now most preachers would say they preach the cross, they preach Christ crucified. I would say that if you would come to any preacher and ask them, do you preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified? They'd say, of course I do. I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But they know nothing of what Paul meant when he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified because they'll say they preach the cross and they'll go on to other things. They'll become politicians trying to promote their brand of politics, or they will say we need to teach people how to live the Christian life. We need to preach against the sins of society. We need to teach people how to witness. You know, that in itself seems dishonest to teach somebody to witness. You are a witness if you've seen something. If you have to teach somebody to witness, there is a real problem. We need to influence our culture and stand against the sins of the times. We need to fight against abortion. We need to fight against pornography. We, not, we need to fight against substance abuse. Now those things are indeed evil. 
But if I spend my time preaching against the sins of society, I am not preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I am pushing some kind of political agenda, I am not preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. If that's what we're doing, trying to affect the culture, we're not preaching Christ crucified. Now, have you and I made this resolve? Do we understand what Paul meant when he said, I've made it my determination. I've made it my resolve to have no other subject but this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. When the sun's not up, you see the stars. But when the sun comes up in its brilliance, you don't see anything else. And that's what happens when someone sees the glory of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul said in the previous chapter, in verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. That is the subject of our preaching. Christ crucified. Now, unto the Jews, this is a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, this is foolishness. The Jews require a sign. They want to see something that makes them think what you're saying is true. I need a sign to prove what you're saying is true. I need to see your life to see. Uh, I want to see how you live to make sure that what you're saying is true. I need a sign, something to show me. The Greeks, the non-religious people, seek after wisdom where you want wisdom to make this world a better place. We want to have better hospitals and, and better health care and, and fight against poverty and better education. We need wisdom to make this world a better place. The Jews seek a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Now unto the Jews... The religious people, this is a stumbling block. You mean to tell me that you're saved completely by what somebody else did? You mean to tell me that you believe that simply Christ dying on a cross under the wrath of God is everything God requires of me? Why, that'll lead to sin. That'll lead to indifference. That won't change anybody's life. And the Greek hears this message And he says, that's foolishness. How's this going to make the world a better place? But Paul says unto them which are called. Not everybody's going to see this, but some will. Unto them which are called, called by God, called by his invincible, irresistible grace. To them which are called, Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. Now, when Paul is writing this epistle in chapter 2, verse 1, he reminds them of how he came initially into Corinth. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. Paul came in by himself and he stayed there 18 months. The Lord said, uh, fear not, Paul, don't hold your peace for I have much people in this city. And Paul came into this big city by himself and began to preach the gospel. 
And he says in verse one, and I brethren, when I came to you, he's talking about his first entrance into Corinth. He said, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I didn't come with eloquent, flowery speech and dazzling displays of rhetoric. I didn't come with human wisdom and philosophy to uh, impress you. And I didn't come with psychological tricks to manipulate you. And that's what most preaching is. It's manipulation. It's, uh, and I'm not talking about true preaching. I'm talking about man's religious preaching. It's trying to manipulate you to get you to do what they want you to do. That's nothing more than manipulation. For instance, an altar call. What is that but a manipulation? Trying to manipulate people, tug on them to get them to come down to do something to prove God's done something for you. Paul said, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom uh, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you. I made this my resolve, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I made this my determination to preach nothing else. Now, all scripture can be interpreted in light of this statement, Jesus Christ and him crucified. All scripture points to that. And wherever I'm at in the scriptures, if I can't get to Jesus Christ and him crucified, I've missed the meaning of the scripture. Jesus, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ, God's prophet, God's priest, God's king, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The most shameful, ignominious, ignominious death, stripped naked and nailed to a cross, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, does that mean I move you by graphic descriptions of the sufferings, the physical sufferings and agony of Christ on the cross? Some years ago, there was a movie that came out, The Passion of the Christ, and I didn't go see it. And it's not because I'm not moved by his physical sufferings, but the point of that movie was try to move us by his physical sufferings. I don't want to look at a man dressed up like Christ anyway. To me, that's idolatry. He's God. Don't make an image of him. That does not mean when I'm talking about preaching Christ and, and him crucified, I'm always giving graphic details of the physical sufferings of Christ. And I don't want to diminish his physical sufferings in any way but it was his soul sufferings. Do you remember in Gethsemane's garden when he saw that cup that the father was getting ready to give him to drink? He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What was in that cup? The sins of his people. He was going to be made sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I preach his soul sufferings, who it is that suffered and what he accomplished in his suffering. When he said, it is finished, 
The salvation of everybody he died for was completed. Sin was put away. Righteousness was established. All my salvation, all my acceptance with God, all my hope is in Jesus Christ, who he is, and him crucified, what he accomplished. Now, Paul goes on to say in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, when Paul's saying that, he wasn't saying I was afraid of you. He said, I was conscious of my own weakness, my own sinfulness. I was afraid of misrepresenting God. I didn't want to give my opinion. I wanted to give the very word of God. And anytime a man preaches, that ought to be his attitude. Not some cocksure, arrogant attitude, but weakness and fear and much trembling. He said in verse 4, In my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. My speech was not with enticing, enticing words. And my marginal reading says persuadable words. Manipulation. Using words to manipulate. Now when I preach... I want you to believe what I'm saying. I want to preach the truth and I want you to believe. It's not like I'm indifferent about that. But I'm not going to try to manipulate you to get you to believe the way I do. I'm going to declare the truth and trust God the Holy Spirit to take care of the results. You, know, you can manipulate people. Um, here's an example. I could preach to our congregation and said, somebody in this congregation saw fit to cancel their vacation and give the money to missions. And people would be moved by that. They would think, oh, I need to do that. And in reality, that's manipulating people, trying to get them to do what I want them to do. I've already uh, uh, spoken of this, but an altar call is nothing but psychological manipulation. Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom using man's wisdom to dress up the gospel and make it more attractive or less offensive. No, I didn't do that. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to make the word known. And here's why I did this, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If I can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. But oh, if the very power of God gave me the faith that I have, the same power that created the universe, <laughs> that faith will last. Now let's consider this statement. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want to make Six statements with regard to that statement. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I'm going to use the word interpretation in every one of these statements. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the interpretation of the eternal purpose of God. God's got a purpose. And that eternal purpose 
is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We read in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, that Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, before there was time, before there was a creation, before there was sin, Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is God's eternal purpose. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross was not God's response to Adam's fall. He didn't say, well, that messed up, so I'll provide the cross to take care of the problem. No, this is God's eternal purpose. This is the whole counsel of God. God determined, God made the universe so his son could die on a cross. Christ dying on the cross is the most godlike thing God ever did. And this is God's purpose. This is his way of making himself known. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's eternal purpose. I think of when the Lord said concerning the cross, Father, the hour's come. The hour I came into this world for, to die on a cross. You see, had not Christ died on the cross, there would be no salvation. There would be no glorifying God. Father, the hour's come. Glorify thy son, that thy son might also glorify thee. Now the cross is the reason, the explanation, the purpose of every event. The cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified is the whole counsel of God. It's the object of faith. It's the object of repentance. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the interpretation of God's eternal purpose. Secondly, the cross of Christ is the interpretation of God himself. God makes himself known through Jesus Christ and him crucified. You and I will not know God. We will not know his character. We will not know his attributes apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is a manifestation of all of the attributes of God. That's how important this is. There's no knowing God apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's think about what the cross declares with regard to God. It tells us God's just. He's going to punish sin. When sin was found on his son, God killed him because God is absolutely just. He will not sweep sin under the carpet. The cross tells us that God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The cross is a manifestation of the wisdom of God. How God could make a way to be just, absolutely just, and yet justify the ungodly. He's made a way to make me an ungodly sinner, perfectly righteous, having never sinned in his sight. That's the great doctrine of justification. The cross is a declaration of the sovereignty of God. On either side of Christ were two men, 
One he saved, the other he left to himself. The cross is a declaration of the power of God, how he can actually make my sin not to be and make me to be perfect in his sight. Every attribute of God, his purpose, his immutability, his infinite greatness is all seen in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I repeat, the cross is the most godlike thing God ever did. The cross is God making himself known. Jesus Christ and him crucified is an interpretation of who God really is. It's what God has given us to tell us who he really is. Thirdly, the cross is the interpretation of the true character of man. Here is how evil you and I are. We murdered God's son. We nailed him to a cross and watched him bleed and die. Now somebody says, don't accuse me of that. I wasn't even born when that happened. Well, the scripture says, by one man sin entered the world and death by sin so that death passed upon all men in that all sinned. When Adam sinned, I sinned. You sinned. And when Christ was nailed to a cross, you might not have been alive yet, but you would have done it. Now somebody says, no, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Um, you may be all right with the false Jesus that you can control, uh, but the absolute sovereign Christ, you would cry with everyone else, we will not have this man reign over us. And when man is left to himself, now I know we can be good on the outside, but I'm talking about what God sees. What God sees. Man, me and you, if left to ourselves and were allowed to do what we want to do, we nail his son to a cross because in reality, what we are by nature is God haters. Somebody might wince and say, I've never hated God. Well, I repeat, uh, you've never hated the God that you feel comfortable with, the God you've invented, but the God of the Bible, the God who's absolutely sovereign and you're in his hands and he can do with you whatever he's pleased to do. He can save you or he can damn you. And you have no control in this. Salvation is of the Lord. That God men hate. And they prove that when they nail Jesus Christ to the tree. The cross is the true interpretation of man. Don't tell me anything about the goodness of man. I mean, I'm all for good deeds and good works and treating people well and so on. But I know what man is. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The cross is the true interpretation of the law. Now, what do I mean by that? If there was one time when God could have turned his back and not punish someone, it was when Christ was on the cross. But the sins of God's elect became his sins. He became guilty of those sins, even though he's not the one who committed them, his people did, but he willingly took them upon himself and God killed him. That's all the law does. The law punishes. 
Somebody says, I try to keep the law. Well, the problem is you haven't kept it. And if you try to come into God's presence or if I try to come into God's presence on the basis of my own obedience to the law, all it will do is kill me. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And fifth, the cross is the interpretation of the gospel. Hear Paul's words. God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. All I have confidence in. Now, this is Paul speaking. The man God used more than anybody else to expound the gospel. A writer, an author of scripture. Uh, the, the chief apostle. The wise master builder. He said, God forbid, may it never be said that I would have confidence in anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. God forbid that I should glory, have confidence in rest in anything but what he accomplished on Calvary's tree. I don't glory in my preaching. I don't glory in my growth. I don't glory in my understanding. I glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way I could be saved is by what he did. I don't look to my faith. I don't look to my repentance. I don't look to my efforts. I don't look to my efforts to do battle with sin. I rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished, my salvation was finished. Oh, salvation is only seen in light of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last, I interpret Christian service by the cross. This was what Paul meant when he said, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You see, law never produces love. The gospel does. The gospel of Christ, all the law does is produce resentment. You know you can't come up with what the law expects. But when you find out that you cannot be more loved, you cannot, cannot be more accepted, you cannot be more received, you cannot be more perfect, you cannot be more holy, save what you are in the cross. You know what that does? That makes you want to give yourself lock, stock, and barrel to Him. That makes you be forgiving. That makes you uh, take the lowest seat in the house. That makes you willingly take up your cross and follow Him. It's only the cross that does that. Anything else is trying to earn your salvation. It's only when you see the message of the cross that you no longer attempt to earn your salvation because you've had it and you serve with the motive of love rather than the motive of law and a mercenary spirit. You doing what you want to do. The cross is the interpretation of that. Now, isn't it beautiful? Paul says, I determined not to know anything anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. May you and I see such glory in the cross that from our hearts we say the same thing with Paul. I've determined not to know anything, to esteeming anything as important except for Jesus Christ and him crucified.